0: I'm Victor Milligan.
1: And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your
0: co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And here with us today is Ellen Carney, Principal Analyst at Forrester, to discuss how two big dynamics, the empowered customer and digital, are affecting insurance. Welcome, Ellen.
1: Thanks for having me today.
0: So, Ellen, we've had a number of podcasts where we talk about these two big changes, which is what's happening in terms of empowered customers are changing expectations and behaviors and how that's reshaping markets and forcing you know, significant changes in businesses. The same holds true for digital. And we talked about it specifically as it relates to some of banking, and we can imagine what it does to markets that are already very technology-oriented, like media or telecom. But I wanted to bring this now into insurance, which one may not think at first blush is something that would be heavily affected by these dynamics, but indeed it is. So could you a sense of, from a landscape perspective what's happening in the property and casualty world?
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head, Victor. Customers, because of digital, have not only become empowered; they've become emboldened. And you know, one of the first things that they're going to do when they get that rate increase, which is surely going to happen this year, this is going to be a pretty miserable year from a customer experience and a rate increase perspective for auto and homeowners. Um, they're going to go shopping, and digital has enabled a lot of transparency, which has basically turned automotive insurance or auto insurance um, and soon to be homeowners insurance into a commodity. So there's just lots and lots of shopping going on.
0: It does feel like insurance is turning into kind of a turnstile. In our consumer techno product, we found that in the ages of 25 to 44, 52% of respondents plan to switch insurance companies in the near future. That's an alarming level of anticipated churn in a marketplace.
1: Well, um, the interesting thing is they might be planning on um, churning. The unfortunate thing is, is that as soon as they go shopping for insurance, they're going to see everybody's rates have gone up. Um, That ends up being a really interesting situation for the role of the agent, because what an agent will do for a consumer is they'll shop that coverage. You know, they'll also be pretty upfront with them in terms of saying, hey, listen, you know, you're not going to get too much better uh, rate than what you're seeing right now for your auto insurance, but I'm going to shop that around for you. Insurance agencies. They are being uh, acquired by private equity firms because it's like software returns on investment. You know, the average profitability of an agency in the United States is 30% EBITDA. Um, And that's one of the reasons why even with all this digital, customers are frankly more loyal to their agents than they are to their spouses. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's true. Average (laughs) marriage that ends in divorce is eight years in the U.S. People stick with their agents for at least 10 years. So that makes sense to me. I've been married to my husband for about five years and with my agent for probably over 15. Is that is that true for younger consumers? As a matter of fact, it is. So one of the things that younger consumers like is the fact that they want to deal with, you know, local businesses in their own community. Mm. And who is more local than the agent who ends up being part of the fabric of the community? The average uh, tenure of an auto insurance customer with their agents is 10.1 years, homeowners 10.4, and life insurance 13.2.
0: So, Ellen, how do I wrestle with that? Because we are seeing more and more of the insurance companies attempting to go digital, and yet there's still an industry dependency on the agent. Are those two things sitting in opposition to each other? Are they consistent with each other? How do I wrestle with those two realities?
1: Well, you bring up a really interesting point because, you know, what an agent has is a relationship. And one of the unfortunate things in our digital world with our insurance carriers is they've done a great job selling the coverage. They do a terrible job onboarding the customer and and establishing that relationship. For instance, only 12% of consumers who have recently bought auto insurance have even bothered to download the customer's mobile app. Very few actually get a welcome from insurance company, and honestly, even from their agents. So we do a very poor job onboarding and actually, you know, cementing the relationship after we've basically taken the customer's money. Um, Digital enables some of that, but we do a very poor job, as I said, with, you know, kind of striking the right tone about getting the customer to register for self-service, letting the customer know all the things that they can do to make their lives more convenient, you know, in terms of handling claims or paying their bills or adding coverage and things like that. So great job selling. We do a very poor job servicing customers.
0: There's this significant emphasis on the way people handle claims. And yet your comment doesn't actually lead in that direction, leads in a different direction, which is how do customers form the relationship? How do they understand their policy? What's the best form of that policy or the optimization question? And what really is, are the risks and how they should interpret those risks? You're saying that part of the information set is not what the insurance company is geared to provide right now.
1: Right. You know, again, they set up from a digital perspective, you know, we're going to do the best we can to handle the claim in the most expedient way possible. Um, unfortunately, consumers don't file lots of claims. You know, the average, you know, number of claims that an auto insurance customer has is maybe once every five years. I mean, it's even less for homeowners' claims. And then, you know, obviously when they go go through a claims process, they are confused. They don't understand terms like replacement cash value and actual cash value. So what smart consumers do is they let their agents handle it. And we see a higher level of satisfaction when the agent handles a claim on behalf of the customer than if the customer handles it themselves.
0: One of the concepts in banking was the concept of the unintentional utility, which is banks always felt that their business model was supported by a strong and durable relationship with the customer. And we're finding out that that's more fragile than one would think. Is insurance the same way? Did they anticipate being a fulfillment shop, if you think of it that way? Or was it their business model more complete than that, and they found themselves in territories they didn't plan?
1: I would say found themselves in territories they didn't plan. And, and some of that unintended consequences, obviously one of the things is you know, the surge of digital disruptors. That are creating new kinds of experiences for consumers, you know, make it easier, more convenient, you know, buy insurance, by the drink.
0: This is the insure tech crowd.
1: That's exactly right. So companies like Lemonade or Slice or Cover, Verifly. But, you know, basically the idea here is to make the insurance experience faster, more convenient, you know, more digital or mobile. The unfortunate thing about that is, you know, it's one thing to get um, VC money and write a press release. It's another thing to get customers which is what I think traditional insurance companies are, are quite adept at doing, um, and certainly insurance agents are as well.
0: So I'm going to go back to the question I asked about the respondents in the ages 25 to 44 plan to switch to insurance companies, and your answer really focused on the agent. So it sort of struck me that the agent in some ways could be, could be sort of suppressing churn. They're saying, I'll, I have a deep relationship with a carrier. I like that relationship. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll suppress sort of that ambition to move. The other way to think about it is the agent is actually exciting churn. They're saying, no, no, I'm going to keep on shopping you around to the best deal. You'll stay with me but the carrier will switch out. Which which one is really playing itself out?
1: Well, it depends, you know, and it it really is, you know, depends on the relationship that the agents have with a particular carrier in the case of an independent agent model. Agents like doing business with carriers that are easy to do business with, and a lot of that is, you know, they've got a great portal, they can have access to the underwriters, um, you know, systems are streamlined, things like that. Um, You know, so when you think about what goes into the calculus that an agency makes in terms of who they're going to pitch to a a consumer, it's easy doing business. It's, you know, the, you know, the rates that the carrier is quoting to the customer. And, And of course, you know, what kind of commission is the agency going to get?
0: So Ellen, you started this with saying, yes, this customer dynamic is really affecting insurance. Part of that customer dynamic, as we see going in the future, is this movement from an ownership culture, which I own the car. To more mobility, which is I actually don't really want to own the car. I simply want to go from here to there in the best, most expedient and most enjoyable way possible, which is a big shift in the nature of insurance and underpins that. So how are insurance companies dealing with that change?
1: A couple of different ways. Obviously, the you know, emerging insurance companies, you know, are selling insurance cover by the drink. So I can buy, um, you know, per-trip car insurance from companies like Cover and, of course, Metro Mile. We've even seen, you know, traditional insurers like Amica, for instance, offering, you know, basically insurance based on blocks of miles that you have. And you have, as a consumer, a mobile app that basically meters and keeps track of how much you're driving so you can see when your insurance is going to be up. So I think you know, we're starting to see the traditional insurers kind of adapt their own coverage to reflect kind of these demands that consumers are, are having in terms of you know, buy, buy the drink.
0: And I can imagine that this buy the drink brings up a number of different issues, which is one trip is different than another. And the risks of one trip are different than another. We've had many conversations about, what is the true application and role of Internet of Things? And this appears to be one of the ones that sort of screams at you, which is, I now have a vehicle, whether I own it or not, that is sort of surmising what's happening, giving the data to the insurance company, and they may be doing on-the-fly risk assessments. That's part of the overall calculation.
1: Is that happening today? Well, one of the cool things about my job as an analyst is I troll patent filings to see who's doing interesting things. And, of course, State Farm filed an interesting patent a couple of years ago around a driver impairment score. And and here I'm not talking about the fact that, um, you know, you might put too many on board after the football game, but you had a bad day at work and, you know, you're under a lot of stress. So you can imagine this world, Victor, that you're kind of talking about where it's not just, you know, insurance for when you're driving the car or not driving the car, but the insurance is going to adapt to you. It's going to know who else is on the road. It's going to know how much stress you're under. It's going to know what the weather is. It's going to understand what kind of claims have happened in the lane that you're driving in. Um, all of these things are going to actually inform how we're going to, you know, rate risk and package up insurance. So, you know, Victor, basically what's going to happen on your way home from Forrester, you're going to get a quote for auto insurance. And because your driving data is now could basically be portable, you could do a reverse auction and say, OK, insurance companies, how much do you want to bid for my drive home from Forrester today? Knowing all these things that you know about weather, you know, traffic, who else is driving and me. Talk about an empowered customer Absolutely, model, right? <laughs> well, think about this from the insurance company's perspective. Boy, you can't shop that around very easily. All those things go, it creates very personalized kinds of coverage. So, you know, that whole transparency we had talked about, that ends up going away. You know, that becomes a policy of one.
0: So in that context, we now mostly live in a world where auto and home policies are established on an annual basis or an event basis. That's Right. And you're now talking about a world where those policies are done relatively on the fly. This goes to the conversations of artificial intelligence and the use of it in their core operations. Is this what we should be looking at?
1: Absolutely. And of course, we certainly have seen this in our interviews and our um, ongoing benchmarks that we do on the digital business team here at Forrester. But uh, artificial intelligence and smart virtual agents to help consumers pick the right insurance coverage, help them navigate the risk from coming storms and what have you, you know, are are on everybody's roadmaps. Maybe they're not ready for prime time now, but, you know, they get smarter. They are going to become very much an important part of the relationship that we have with our insurance companies. But this, I think, to your point, also just changes the nature of underwriting, right? Absolutely. And of course, we're seeing that reflected in, you know, you you talked about some of this on-demand insurance. When you think about how insurance companies are getting pummeled here in the U.S. right now from, you know, wind, fire, floods, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Now you're starting to see the insurance carriers starting to open up their core systems and expose their, you know, their APIs to partners who can... Build new kinds of you know value-added APIs that are going to extend the value that the insurance company can offer to customers.
0: So we talked about the changing dynamics in auto, and then you just pointed out something very different, which is you have two different dynamics happening. The first one is the influence of global warming and some of the storms we've already seen, and we would expect going forward. Then you see higher concentration in urban areas, so like in Miami or like we've seen in London, and other places when it hits. There's a big insurance take on it, but it hits infrequently, but it hits acutely. So how insurance companies are adapting to those two dynamics?
1: Better underwriting models or actuarial models to better understand risk. Big data is informing how we can you know better rate risk. Also kind of going back to some of the points that we made is, you know, the ability to buy on-demand coverage that could cover a, a flood event or a power outage that could, you know, provide additional revenue to the insurance companies outside of regular homeowners coverage or, or, or that sort of thing. Could
0: you provide an example of an on-demand provider?
1: Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, in the UK, there's a company called Flood Flash that is basically on-demand flood insurance coverage. And when you look at what's happening with the uh, national Flood Insurance Program here in the United States, you know, in the hole for billions of dollars. The idea of being able to have a private company offer these kinds of of you know per event you know flood coverages is going to be really important. Another interesting one, obviously, is um, and we can see this you know anytime we turn on TV, is Samsung's Life Hub refrigerator. So not only are they going to tell you what you know you need eggs and butter at the store, but it also is going to be able to say, listen, there's a bad event coming. Do you want to buy, um, you know, coverage for the contents of your refrigerator? Because we may lose power. And by the way, you know, your smart um, home assistant is going to be able to tell you that's not covered under your policy. And who knew? Samsung is the largest insurer in Korea.
0: One of the conversations we've had with Michael Facemeyer and, and James Wu is the role that the virtual agent will play in people's lives. And so the way that, that I think about it is that it starts with the simple thing we do now, which is we have a conversation with them and we ask them things and they give us answers. And it's going to turn to a much more informed conversation. And in that conversation is going to be much more of an influence that they garner by making suggestions along the way based on preferences I've stated or that they've inferred or like the old search engines that they're motivated to provide me. So you're saying insurance is going to be part of that conversation as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Especially when you think about that Alexa's is going to know before I get in the car to go to work. It's going to be able to coach me on, in terms of, you know, you might want to consider this kind of coverage today. You know, what I know is happening from a weather situation, you know, you're not covered or you're not sufficiently covered. So, you know, here's a way we're going to be able to make sure that you're kept safe and, you know, a- any impact of this event is minimized.
0: So we look now at an insurance market, property and casualty, that is mostly governed by the agent and the relationships, as you described it, is witnessing pretty meaningful churn, and that, that will not probably go down, and is being affected by dynamics out of its control, which is changing customer behaviors, global warming, other things. How are the insurance companies just coping with a set of those changes coming upon them?
1: Certainly, one of the things that I see in terms of a adaptation standpoint is that you see products changing, Victor. You also see um, the way that you know insurance carriers are saying, "Listen, you know the agents aren't going away. I have to do a better job with enabling them to support my customers better from a digital perspective."
0: So you're seeing these insurance companies look to digital for a variety of reasons, and you could you could see that an agent may not want that to occur at some level because digital could be a direct access to customers. That's how that has worked in other industries. Are agents inhibiting, neutral to, or enabling sort of a digital transformation that happens at the insurance company level?
1: Well, it depends, you know, and I think it depends on the character of the agency, So obviously when you see, you know, agencies that have, you know, a younger um, uh, population of customer service reps or producers or even agency principals, they're much more in tune with, hey, this is digital. This is, you know, part of what we do. I mean, any of the InsurTech Boston or Hartford events, you have agencies there. So they're paying attention to, you know, how digital is disrupting the carriers and, and themselves. So they're, you know, kind of on board and thinking about how we have to adapt our agency in fact, I was at the InsurTech Hartford event in um, the summer and a 29-year-old agent said to me, asked me a question about singularity. And it's like, oh my God, it's like, I can't even remember what that is. Singularity,
0: but, you mean the moment of the Big Bang?
1: No, singularity is the moment that artificial intelligence becomes smarter than people. So, you know, so they're thinking about how they can use technology to enable the experience. And of course, they're demanding faster capabilities from the portals that they have. Hey, I want hover text. I want SEALs tips. I want to have, you know, the ability to, um, you know, do an online chat or a video chat with the underwriter.
0: So the agent in that case is sort of exciting change. Yeah. So these insurance companies, many of them have been around for a long, long time. And you can argue that there's a form of inertia that might be in place are they ready to move as fast as both the external market is asking them to or demanding it do or the agents may be encouraging them to? Are they they ready for that kind of role and at that kind of speed?
1: Some are. And what we see is a a very interesting situation with, say, like the top five auto insurers, you know, who are definitely further ahead compared to the bottom five uh, in terms of digital capabilities. And you certainly see that with, you know, smaller regional carriers as well saying, hey, we've got to keep up with, the GEICO's and the Progressive's and the all states. So we're going to start rolling out some of these capabilities as well. So, you know, you see the larger carriers having invested in a significant way in terms of those kinds of digital capabilities and their data science teams and behavioral economics and things like that to kind of keep up from a digital perspective. Yeah. So not just the technology, but the teams and the organizational structure to support that. Absolutely. And as I said, you know, you can trawl through all those patents and you can see some really interesting intellectual property that they're looking to protect. And, you know, hopefully it'll come to pass, but really smart ideas in terms of the way that digital is going to change the insurance relationship, the agent relationship. And as I said, some of those patents have to do with agent enablement as well.
0: Well, there's a number of different dimensions. We talked about we talked about Internet of Things, AI, the role of APIs, big data, on-the-fly modeling, virtual agents. I mean, you can imagine that w- w- even without the influence of tech, it's a game of competitive leapfrog, which is one big advance by one company, Guy or Progressive, forces everybody's hand very quickly. Well, it is. And
1: interestingly, Victor, you know, the insurance industry back in the 70s actually went through a very interesting technology leapfrog where they moved kind of – and there's still a mainframe environment, but they – they they caught up faster than other industries. And we could actually see that happening from a technology perspective with insurance companies. So they make make this big leap because they've been behind on, you know, application modernization. So now they're starting to embrace things like, as I said, APIs, cloud, artificial intelligence. These are the things that they're doing to remain competitive, fend off, you know, the insure tech disruptors. And, you know, we've not talked about the fact that, Um, Yes, we saw Google Compare decide, I'm not so interested right now in the business of insurance, but there's nothing to say that they're not going to get interested again or perhaps somebody else.
0: I'm sure they're on the horizon. I guess that leads me to the next question, which is we've had conversations about digital platforms that operate in that same sense as an agent, Mm but just in a digital context. And you have existing platforms, Google, Amazon, Alibaba, and others that are already in place and already showing ambitions or capabilities to enter into other markets fairly easily because what they're trading and brokering and is relatively similar across these markets. Do you envision them coming in and forming these platforms in the same way they threaten within retail and within the food and others?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think Google Arrow in India absolutely shows Google's hand that way. So it started off as home food delivery in the uh, Indian market. Now it's home services, you know, the electrician and the plumber and the, and the carpenter. What's to stop the insurance widget from, you know, showing up on Google Aero? So it's an interesting potential way that Google is testing this platform that could pick up insurance as a widget.
0: Right. So one model, and you mentioned India, one model that sort of comes to my head when when you say that is that in some markets, like in Finland and India, there was a terrible telecom infrastructure. And because of that, they were easily able to go to much more advanced digital wireless services because they didn't have to sort of protect their existing investments. They could simply allow it to stay where they were and just build new is that the way I should think of insurance is that they just don't have to protect as much, but they have to race to catch up to the impending insure tech, Geico's and Google's of the world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a great point. You know, if we didn't have landline infrastructure, you know, mobile made perfect sense. So you could imagine the same thing happening. Um, you know, we actually did talk about the fact uh, you know, that a telco could buy an insurance company. So that's certainly not beyond the realm of reason Orange bought a bank. Um, what's to stop Orange from buying an insurance company or Verizon or AT&T?
0: Yeah, we have had many conversations and there's always been this talk track of blurring industry lines. And, you know, we may have to change the word blurring to blasting because digital is sort of just tearing down these walls and, you know, barring the considerations of regulations and how to handle them, whether you want to be regulated or not. There's a simplicity in providing retail services and offerings.
1: Absolutely. You know, again, if this is, if the whole idea is making it more convenient to the customer, it makes perfect sense. And actually, when you think about, you know, how some insurance companies philosophically or culturally or, you know, even technically can adapt to this world, you know, some may say, listen, I'm just happy to be just a producer of insurance products and I'll let that be sold through a managing general agent, even if it's a cool digital one. And you know, I'm just going to be happy manufacturing insurance coverage.
0: There's a blending of sort of experiences. You mentioned the Samsung Hub refrigerator, which is it's logical to sort of connect lifestyle and insurance together. We've had some conversations about automated vehicles, which, as you can imagine, insurance playing a central role in a marketplace that will be competed among car makers, media firms, publishers, and others. And in comes the insurance companies that have a very immediate sensibility about how this would play out if they're advancing mobility experiences, and if they're doing on-demand, whether the reverse auctions are just simply on-the-fly policymaking.
1: Yeah, you could absolutely imagine that. But, you know, when you think philosophically, one of the um, greatest way for great ideas to uh, die an insurance company is the role of legal and compliance. So they remain extremely powerful in insurance companies. So yes, you bring up some wonderful ideas of how this could actually evolve, but it says to me that we have to catch up from a regulatory standpoint in terms of how this technology is changing and we certainly aren't there yet.
0: So Ellen, we started this conversation by saying the two big dynamics, customer expectations and behaviors in digital are influencing a whole range of industries and insurance wasn't the most obvious one. And in this discussions, we talked about the current role of Internet of Things, AI, API, big data, on-the-fly modeling, dynamic and reverse auctions, the role of virtual agents, and all sorts of things that one would not have imagined at first blush. So if I'm an insurance company or in this space and I'm trying to play catch-up to that leaf sort of dynamic, what does it all mean to me as an executive trying to make sense of this and stay either at pace or get ahead?
1: Victor, fundamentally what insurance does isn't going to change. You know, it still protects our paychecks. It protects our well-being. It protects our lifestyle and it protects our assets. But the way it is going to be delivered to us is going to change. It's going to adapt to the risks that we might be experiencing in the moment. It's going to adapt to the things that might be going around around us. And it's going to be provided to us in slices or chunks that are going to be, you know, basically around the risks that we're experiencing in those kinds of moments. That's going to have, of course, profound implications from a technology and a packaging perspective for insurance companies. But I think one of the other fundamental things that isn't going to change is, you know, the humanness of taking care of people, you know, when they, you know, have a a loss event or, you know, have an experience that insurance companies can step in to help them. Insurance isn't going to change that way. Thanks for joining us today, Alan. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It
0: Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester
1: on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.